100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge-to-edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no-fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Brian Hale of Elk County Outfitters. We discuss everything you need to know about applying for elk tags in Pennsylvania, what units to consider, different seasons, and everything in between. There's also a blog post available on eastmeetswesthunt.com to walk you through the entire process that we talk about here in this episode. So be sure to check that out, help you with some links and everything to be able to go through there. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday Story of the Week, we have a story coming from Zach Church out of Virginia. Zach wrote in, last year I was gone on deployment, so I missed the entire hunting season. This year, I've hit harder than ever during archery and then into rifle season, putting in miles each day hunted, wearing holes in my hunting pants from walking, hours in the tree stand, saddle, and on foot. I made every mistake in the book this season while pursuing to harvest a mountain whitetail buck. I knew I'd make the right choices at some point and maybe get a sliver of good luck. The night before, I e-scouted using Spartan Forge to an area I hunted years ago as a young man. The road to get there has been closed for over five years because a portion of the road was washed out. They finally reopened access, but the road ends a few miles up from where it used to. I drove to the end of that and recent, that recently opened road and hiked two miles into the mountains to an area where most people dare to attempt to get to in these steep Appalachian mountains and set up after daylight with my grandfather's lever action 30-30. I set up on the exact ridge I had picked the evening prior and found an empty buck bed, a few small rubs, and a fresh scrape. After sitting a short time, I see other deer down the ridge from me that morning, and debating on making a move, I decided against it, knowing that I picked up where I was at for good reason. To trust my original judgment and my gut, an hour later at 11.37 a.m. on December 2nd, 2022, this guy walks right to where I thought he'd be headed and I was able to make some ethical shots on him with my 30-30 at around 55 yards as he was continuing to head into bow range. I killed the largest buck to date in my life and on public land. The gross score was 118 and 7 eighths inches. After multiple trips in and out for hunting and the pack out, my watch totaled 15 miles for the entire day. I'm proud to be able to harvest this buck and honor him while he provides for my family. Your style of hunting is a huge influence to me and hope that by watching your content and your scouting series that I can kill a bruiser every year. Well, Zach, I think uh, I don't think you'll have a problem doing that because it sounds like you're putting in the work to to do that and just getting back in there in some really remote places. And congratulations on that buck! It's a beautiful deer. I hope everyone goes and checks it out. East meets West Hunt on Instagram or East meets West Outdoors on Facebook. You can check out the photos of Zach's beautiful deer here. Definitely seems like there's the trend to some some. Uh, some really hardcore guys coming out of Virginia getting it done. So I, I love love seeing it, love hearing about it. Uh, I know those mountains are no joke. So congratulations again. Uh, as far as other news, I just want to remind everybody that the Prime Bow giveaway is going on still until June 30th. So if you want to win a new Prime RevX 2, sign up for the email list. This is a requirement. You have to sign up for the email list at eastmeetswesthunt.com. And if you want some bonus entries, I have one on Instagram. So if you head over to my personal page, which is just bow.martonic, you'll see a post that says Prime Bow Giveaway. Just follow the instructions there. It's pretty simple. 
Um, another option to get an extra entry is to leave a rating or review on the podcast wherever you listen to it that has reviews available. I do understand that not all listening platforms have a, a way to be able to give reviews. And also subscribe to my YouTube channel. So the winner will be announced via the email newsletter early July. So be sure to check that out. The last thing is I just got back from Total Archery Challenge in Montana. So I was in Big Sky, Montana. I did not have my own booth out there. I just went to hang out and help out at the, the Sika Gear booth and get to shoot the courses and just kind of have a, a really fun weekend. And I love that place as far as Big Sky. So beautiful and uh, really a really fun course to be able to shoot. It was hard. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I didn't... Uh, I didn't do terrible, but I didn't do great either. And and uh, the altitude was affect anybody that came from lower elevations. Uh, our sights were off. They were shooting a little bit hot, especially at longer distances. It took me a little bit, but I found out after 90 yards, I had to take five yards off my sight tape to hit where I was aiming. And it was it was as I went down, it was lower. So like really under 40 yards, it was it was right on. And then it was about two yard difference up to about 60. After that, 60 to about 75 was three, three yards off from 75 to 90. I'd take four yards off. So as you can imagine, it took uh, some arrows not hitting the right place to get that figured out. But uh, it was something to point out. And that's, uh, you know, when people are going on high country mule deer hunts, or um, elk hunts, anything at higher elevations like that. I mean, we were at about 9,000 feet, you can have a change in, in your sight tapes there. So it's something to definitely take note of, but I was, uh, I was doing pretty, I ended up doing pretty well there towards the end and getting it all figured out and squared away and got to learn from some of the best archers that were there. I got to shoot with John Barklow. I got to shoot with John Dudley, which I learned a ton from. Uh, and it was also a little bit nerve wracking at the same time as he's watching your every move as you go to shoot but learned a ton and uh, just a lot of a lot of really cool people there to to get to, to shoot with and um, hang out at that event and uh, also Jason Matzinger's uh, new film had shown at the Rocky Mountain Elk thing at the end of the night Rocky Mountain Elk party excuse me got to watch the world elk calling championship there Corey Jacobson I uh, ended up taking second place to Bo Brooks and that was really fun to watch. And I got to meet Bo and talk to him there for a while. And, and I think I'm going to have to bring him on the podcast here at some point. But, uh, man, it was uh, it was really fun, a uh, really fun weekend there. I got in super late. Uh, all my flights were delayed. So I got in at 3.30 in the morning. Um, I guess it would be Monday morning back to my house. And um, I'm recording this here Monday morning to, to get it out here. But, um yeah, it was a it was a really fun weekend. Um, I am looking forward to spending some time in PA for the next few weeks here before I head back out to Utah. Um, but spending some time here and uh, getting some gear dialed, getting ready for Alaska for heading out there for moose hunting in September. So just getting all my gear kind of prepared, setting up tents in the yard, just making sure everything's in its good spot and um see what else i need for that that hunt specifically and then um and also just getting some more cameras out i got a bunch out right before i had left and uh, i want to start getting some more out here so that i'm in a really good place 
uh, coming into hunting season because it's going to be a, a busy year for me, which is a good thing. Um, but it also means that I won't be spending as much time here in Pennsylvania. So I'm going to have to try to be more efficient uh, with my time, make sure I'm taking advantage of uh, getting my cameras out, my scouting done and everything for when that opens up. But uh, that being said, I hope everyone has a great rest of your week. And uh, if you like the podcast, please share it with your friends, family, anybody you think that uh, would benefit from it. I greatly appreciate that. Thank you. All right. We are live. Brian Hale from Elk County Outfitters. How you doing? Good, good, Bo. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to get to talk to you here. You'd reached out to me, I guess it was probably only a week ago here, but, um, and wanted to talk about some of the elk application processes and everything. And, and I was, uh, I was like, this is perfect. Cause I had written an article on this on my website a few years ago. And it's one of the, as I was telling you before we were recording, it's one of the most popular, uh, articles that I had written. And I get a ton of questions about applying in Pennsylvania and you know I've been doing it since the beginning um yeah. and and trying to trying to get one of those coveted elk tags but I, I feel like no one knows it better than than you guys that are are the the well-known outfitter in the area for these elk hunts yep yeah we deal with it now um, we, we deal with it all, all the time so uh, uh so yeah my name is Brian Hale uh, with Elk County Outfitters I um I'm own and operate Elk County Outfitters now um, I'm about three years. This will be the third season at the helm, essentially, of Elk County Outfitters. Um, back in 2002, ECO was actually started with uh, started by my good buddy, Jack Manick Jr. Um, he unfortunately passed away unexpectedly in 2021 in the summer. And um, after his passing, his widow and his mother and father reached out to me and asked me if I would want to kind of step up and take over Elk County Outfitters. I had, was kind of Jack's I guess for lack of a better term, we call right hand man or number one guy, however you want to say. It. And I was pretty well involved with him through the process of everything, you know, from booking to actual hunts and follow ups and everything, you know, for many years prior to his passing. So it kind of made sense. I jumped in there um, under unfortunate circumstances, you know, I mean, it was but but it is what it is. He had built quite an operation up. He had built quite a leg- legacy and I really didn't want to see it uh, just kind of go by the wayside once he once he went to the happy hunting grounds in the sky. So um, I stepped up. Um, it was it was quite a feat at first getting permitting and everything switched over. There's a lot of red tape in the background that um, most folks don't realize permitting um, through various state agencies, um, DCNR, Game Commission, state parks. Um, local township permits um there's there's quite a bit of red tape there and a lot of hoops to jump through so i had to get stuff switched up to my name um after jack's passing and uh you know kind of jumped in from there and this will be the third year now that i've been um spearheading i guess you would call running elk county outfitters and and things have been really well i mean jack was a huge integral part of the operation i mean he was the center he was the hub um, but he would tell you just the same as I would Elk County Outfitters was never just one person or two, three or four, or even half a dozen guys. It was 10, 12, two dozen guys strong. I mean, we're just, it's just a big family and everybody, uh, everybody pitches in and everybody steps up to the plate when the time is, is needed. And, uh, I'm fortunate to have a great group of guides, um, uh, behind us, you know, Jack had assembled a great group of guys, um, and, over the years, we've become much more than just just 
guides and friends. We've become family. I mean, we, some of us, we take vacations together. We do a lot of stuff outside of elk season together. Um, just, just, it's really become a family and there's so much camaraderie and everything that, that comes from the elk hunt. So much more is born out of it than, you know, than just going elk hunting in Pennsylvania, which is a, which is a treat in itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a treat in itself. I feel like that's everybody's dream. You know, as many people as I've talked to over the last 300 some episodes of doing this podcast from out West and everything that, you know, mm-hmm. afterwards I'm talking to these, you know, proficient elk hunters and they're like, how do I get a tag in Pennsylvania? Yeah. <laughs> most people have no Pennsylvania. You have elk. I mean, there's just like, no, there isn't any awareness out there for most, for most of the Western folks that we even have this out here, let alone the, the, the quality, you know, I mean, let alone the, the, the size of the animals that are here, yeah. but, but yeah, getting, getting that tag can be the tough part. Well, that is the tough part, essentially. I mean, that is, that is the biggest hurdle to overcome, you know, when trying to hunt Pennsylvania elk. So, so that kind of rolls us all into our application process. So, Things have changed a little bit here um, in Pennsylvania for the application process this year. Um, generally, in the last, well, for, for the recent, for the past history, um, elk applications didn't, the ap- elk application window, I should say, did not open or did not start until the general hunting licenses would go on sale each year which would have been usually around the middle of June. So in Pennsylvania, our license years go July 1 uh, to June 30, as opposed to a calendar January, January 1 date, December 31 date. So when our general hunting licenses, which would cover deer and turkey and small game and everything else and bears, they would go on sale in mid-June with an active date of July 1, that was when the elk application window would also open. And then um, guy, there'd be a mad rush, you know, right at that time, everybody's in the stores buying their hunt licenses online, buying their hunt licenses. Well, they're going to do their elk applications while they're there. And um, elk seasons had, had always been traditionally the original elk season structure was just one single season in November. Um, generally right around the very first week of November here, four years ago, this, this is the fourth season now, um, that the game commission instituted implemented a, um, archery season, which occurs in September during the rut. And then a late season, which is in later in the winter, generally right around the whole first week of January. And that's an, that's an either, or I'm sorry, that's an, any weapon season also. So archery, the, the, the early archery season during the rut is the only season that's weapon specific. Um, the other two, the general season, November and the late in January are any weapon. So, so when they instituted this new archery season going on four years ago now, um, and that's starting around September, there was a narrow, a very narrow window from when tags were allocated, which generally um, the, the game commission would have the elk drawing held. Um, it was usually around August 20s. Um, however, it would fall on a weekend there, usually August, early August 20s, mid August 20s. Um, that's when the game commission would perform their elk drawing lottery um, at the elk expo held at the uh, visitor center grounds uh, in Benazette. So what they were finding was they were drawing folks for archery season for archery tags in middle of August and their season to archery hunt was three weeks out. They, they were starting the hunt the middle of September. So guys were really, really jammed up with time frames. So the, the, the way our structure of drawing tags here is 
there's no way it's a it's a bonus point system so there is no um there's no preference points there's no guarantee to ever draw a tag in pennsylvania whereas opposed to, you know some of the places out west you when you hit her hit a certain threshold of of uh preference points you are in a guaranteed pool of tag winners we just don't have enough tags allocated in pennsylvania to ever to be able to do that so we have a bonus point system that bonus point system just simply means they put your name in the drawing again for every unsuccessful previous application. So if I have been applying for five years, the past five years, and I haven't been drawn, when I apply again this year, I'm going to have my five previous application, unsuccessful applications, plus this year. So my name's going to be in the hat six times. But there's going to be a whole bunch of people that are going to be in there for the very first time. And there's going to be a whole bunch of people that are probably have more points than me that are in there. And then it's just a matter of luck of the draw, um, you know, getting that tag. So with the bonus point system, like I said, there's no way to ever plan a plan a hunt Pennsylvania. There's no way to schedule vacation. There's no way to save and pinch your pennies. Um, you know, if you would be looking to go guided. Um, so it, it almost became a hardship for some folks, um, you know, drawing a tag in middle of August and hunting it uh, middle of September, they were having three, four weeks tops, you know, to try to plan a hunt. Scheduling work, scheduling the work uh, um, leave was the biggest thing. So um, several years ago, the game commission alpologist, Jeremy Banfield, he instituted a, a post hunt survey where everybody that got an elk, elk tag would get a survey um, at the end of the season. And that survey had a whole bunch of questions related to, you know, your overall experience. Did you hunt private land? You know, how many elk did you see? Then there was always a blank section for comments. And he said, overwhelmingly, one of the biggest complaints, and I use air quotes there, I mean, because they still, they're hunting elk in Pennsylvania, but <laughs> was the was the time crunch. I mean, guys just felt like they didn't have time to prepare. So this past season, he saw a whole bunch more of those those complaints again. And he lobbied the board of commissioners to actually change the elk lottery drawing and also season dates. He changed a little bit. So uh, on behalf and in benefit to the to the archery hunter specifically, um, Jeremy was able to get the elk lottery drawing moved up into July. It's actually July 28th this year. So it's about three weeks earlier than it was previously. And he also bumped the start of elk archery season to the right one whole week in September. So whereas last year, I think we hunted September 10 was the first day of elk archery season last year. It's September 16th this year, which that, that bump to the right really actually falls better in line with the rut um, as far, you know, as in my opinion. So archery hunters didn't lose anything by the archery season moving to the right. And they, they, they were better off there. And they definitely were better off by moving the drawing to the left on the calendar. So it gives everybody more time to prepare. So essentially, they've more than doubled the amount of time now that folks have when they draw archery tags. So it's that that's a huge win um, for, you know, you know, for anybody that's looking to draw an elk archery tag in Pennsylvania. And, and even even the November tags, it still just gives you more time. Um, so so what what he did in turn when they moved that that elk drawing and the expo date back into july they then had to adjust their application window so now with um with the use of the pal system over the last uh, i don't know it's been it's been boy it's been a long time now but with all the digital um you know license sales and ways to apply and everything now 
the game commission actually stepped it way back to the left and opened up the elk application process at the beginning of February this year. So you could apply for an elk tag in Pennsylvania starting back, I believe it was February 1 or something. I didn't mean to look, see how the actual yep, calendar that's, date that's is. That's what it's showing here, February but, 1st through July 16th. Yep. Yeah. So, so now, now really a lot of that time constraint and those, the problems associated with that stuff has been relieved or alleviated, I should say. So now you could go right, even though our general licenses aren't on sale yet here in Pennsylvania for the 23, 24 season, you could still go online. You could still go to any point of sale and do your elk applications. So it, that really is a big win. You know, it's a big thing for for um, Pennsylvania sportsmen and non-residents, you know, who are all trying to apply. Because once you draw that tag, you're all in that same crunch. You know, you're all trying to to plan something that you never planned for. You know, most folks don't keep a, a, a sock full of money rolled up in their <laughs> in their sock drawer just for when I draw my Pennsylvania elk tag, you know. Or they don't have a lot of leeway at work for vacation times. So um, th- this really helps this new pride. It, it doesn't totally alleviate it because I'd rather see him draw one year ahead. I'd rather see a double draw one year and then always go, you know, always be able to be looking out a year ahead. But I don't I don't think we'll ever see that. I think this is probably about as best as we're going to get when yeah. it comes to the you know when it comes to the bones of the system yeah i guess that makes it difficult with the with the hunting seat with our pennsylvania season starting july 1 as far as like the calendar or the i guess the calendar year per the hunting licenses to be able to do it any earlier but you know most of the western states the way they do it you draw anywhere from you know december the previous year like idaho all the way and through like i think june might be the latest that that i know of to be able to and that gives you time to be able to plan that yeah yep yep even i know a lot of right there late may early june that's a huge huge cluster of western states that are drawing their tags for the fall you know for that are into the fall and it given gives guys times to uh time to figure out and plan yeah and so when well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I didn't, I didn't realize that that change happened from the, the, for the February 1st opening until really last weekend when I was, uh, at the total archery challenge in seven Springs, the Pennsylvania game mm-hmm. commission had a booth there and they were, you know, selling the, the applications for elk tags. I was like, wait, that's yep. a little early. Like I normally, you yeah. know, I just always bought yeah. it with my, with my license. And, uh, and th- that's really good to, to know as far as that this only goes until July 16th now versus when you could at the end of July, that's a big change. Well, yeah, yeah. So that, that if guys are used to, I think it used to always be like July 31, the end of July was, was the historic last day to apply for Pennsylvania elk tags. But now that's bumped up. We just cut, you know, two weeks off of that. So some, hopefully some guys don't get, uh, or gals, hopefully they don't get pinched and thought, oh, well, I have until the 31st and then realize it's too late. Um, but th- there'll be a lot. So this year, this coming, when we buy our general tags uh, here in a couple of weeks in June, I imagine we're going to see that in print in the Hunter's Digest. So w- when they had this rollout for the February 1 bump up, um, their only method of, of dissemination was like social media and their, their own website and like press releases. And so if, if folks didn't catch, you know, those announcements on the game commission uh, website or their Facebook page or Instagram or whatever, what have you, you know, a lot of folks didn't know. And, and really there's a lot of folks that just, 
don't follow it all that closely. So, so it's, it easily gets missed. So that's why um, we always try to do what we can do to make sure we talk and tell people and explain, you know, specifically, Hey, look, there's a little bit shorter of a time this year, or the deadlines moved up, I should say um, this year. So please, you know, if you plan, if you're planning on applying, don't miss out, you know, don't, don't miss that date. Yeah. And, and the one thing I wanted uh, to, to mention here and talk to you about is, you know, now with the different season dates, you know, with having, I think it's awesome being able to have the archery season now and the late season. But the, the one thing that's different than all the other Western states is that your, your points that you get aren't just, you don't just get say like say in Colorado, I have six elk points right now. I can use that for archery rifle or uh, muzzleloader yeah. where in yep. Pennsylvania the, they're separate point systems for each season. Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart and others available at all times? Well, you can with Cyber Scout from Spartan Forge. Cyber Scout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. Cyber Scout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%. And if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S. And I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade Short Barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. Correct. Yeah. So, so think of it like a pool or a bucket. So we have three archery season or we have three elk seasons. There is a bonus point pool for each season. So if you've been applying for elk archery since the beginning, you would have your three previous unsuccessful plus this year going into it. So you have three rollover bonus points from previous unsuccessful apps. You have a whole nother bucket, a whole nother separate pool of your general season apps. And conversely, you have a whole nother pool of your late season apps, your unsuccessful late season apps, and they operate 100% independently of each other. And if you would draw any tag in one of the three seasons, you're only exhausting the points related to that tag that you draw. So you draw a general season this year, you're still going to maintain your archery points and your late points. So... The way that that that's that's another that's an, another um, uh, anomaly, almost, I guess, like you said, you know, compared to a lot of Western stuff where you just have an elk point and you can apply that to any season you or apply those to any season you want to, um, you know, try for. Whereas here, they're all individually kept and stored and, ma- and maintained. And then those points are only active on years that you apply for those licenses. Um, so, so that meaning like if you were forever would one year forget to apply 
or two years would forget to apply. You don't zero out or you don't lose those points. Pennsylvania system's not set up like that. I know there are some Western states, I'm pretty sure Wyoming's like that. If you don't apply for two years, you will lose anything that you've accumulated. So, so that's the nice thing about Pennsylvania. Here's that. And then also we have, and a lot of Western states have this also too, is we have a bonus point only option. So let's just say Bo already knows he's going to have an elk archery tag out West somewhere this year. So he certainly doesn't want to, that has conflicting dates with the Pennsylvania elk archery hunt. He certainly doesn't want to draw a Pennsylvania tag at the same year. He already has a trip planned somewhere else. So at the time of application, you have an option then to purchase bonus point only. So you're still getting the benefit of having a point, you know, it's available for the year, but you're not actively in the drawing. So uh, a lot of times we tell folks, a lot of folks don't realize that either, that, you know, they think, oh, well, I have to apply them in the drawing, but maybe I know I'm having knee surgery and I'm not going to be able to hunt. I hope I don't draw a tag or boy, I have a trip planned to the beach. I hope I don't draw a tag. Well, apply bonus bonus point only don't actually don't be actively in those drawings you know if you look can look ahead and enough and realize and know that you have date conflicts um so folks have been the last it seems like the last three or four years that has been catching on it used to be it, it was almost comical it was a joke inside you know amongst a lot of us is like well if you want to draw a pa elk tag plan a trip somewhere else at the exact same time because I couldn't every year we have multiple folks that have conflicts. They have other hunts planned. They have vacations planned, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, Oh my Lord, you know, I don't, what, what do I got? I got to make a tough decision here one way or the other. We've had some guys that can only hunt one day and they got to leave. We've had guys that can only hunt weekends guys, um, you know, that can hunt the end of the week and not the beginning of the week just because of, you know, previous commitments and stuff. So really, I can't stress enough for guys to take advantage of the bonus point only option. Um, if you know, if you can look, look out far enough ahead and realize that you have a conflict with something else. Yeah. I know like looking at the season dates here on my other screen, you know, October 30th, November 4th is the, the general, the rifle season. Mm -hmm. And those exact dates, I have a hunt planned where I'll be in Kodiak, Alaska, hunting sick of blacktail deer. That's, I'm going to have to yeah. put bonus points down, <laughs> even though that's where I yep. have the most points for elk, yep. you know, in PA as, as most do because yep. of the yep. season, but it, uh, it, it just wouldn't work out. And I would hate to yep. be drawing that tag and, and not be able oh, to, man. to do it. Yes. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yep. Yep. That that's yeah. We, we can't stress enough to folks to try to look at, look ahead if they can you know, and, um, and try to make sure that there isn't calendar conflicts. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that kind of rolls us like right into the ac actual application process itself. So that can get, depending on how familiar folks are with some of the Western application stuff, um, Pennsylvania system might seem pretty smooth to some folks in Pennsylvania that really don't get into the weeds with Western apps. Um, Pennsylvania system can seem a little overwhelming and a little clumsy, um, you know, trying to navigate through. But um, um, the, the biggest thing to know is that, you know, you can, uh, you can apply for a PA elk tag without having to purchase a Pennsylvania hunting license. So that's a big draw for non-residents. So a non-resident can apply for a Pennsylvania elk tag any of the three seasons in any combination they want without purchasing a non-resident hunting license. Now, should they draw, then they have to purchase a non-resident elk tag and a non-resident um, hunting license, which I 
I know uh, pretty much every non-resident we've ever had were pleasantly surprised when they saw the low cost of Pennsylvania non-resident tags. Um, so, so what, when you would go to apply, oh, go ahead. What what are what is the cost of the non-resident tag? So, so a non-resident elk tag is two hundred fifty bucks, boar cow, <laughs> two hundred fifty bucks to any sex. For a resident, it's twenty five dollars. So, if you would draw a Pennsylvania elk tag, you're paying twenty five. Yeah. If your buddy out west draws one, he's paying two fifty. And conversely, a non-resident hunt general hunting license, which would be required, is a hundred and one dollars, I think. So so a non-resident can draw a Pennsylvania elk tag and be out of pocket, uh, what I just say, three hundred and fifty two dollars yeah. and chains. Yeah. Yep. Crazy. Crazy to think about. And if you got a bull tag in your pocket, you're legit talking about monster bulls. And four hundred inches is definitely attainable you know especially depending on the zone you would draw so so when when a folks when, when a person decides that they want to apply for pennsylvania elk they can go if they're if they're in the state you can go to any point of sale so anywhere they sell hunting licenses any walmart any cabela's bass pro any mom and pop sporting goods store that sells hunting licenses you can go and you can do your elk application in person um anybody that wants to do it online you can go to huntfish.pa.gov um, that's also the same method, um, where you report big game harvest. So, um, mo- a lot of PA folks are familiar with that because they use that for reporting buck and doe harvests and turkey harvests and stuff like that. So if you choose to go the online route, huntfish, uh, dot, or yeah, it's what I just said. It, I just tongue twister myself now. <laughs> yeah. It is, uh, huntfish.pa.gov. Um, once you go on there, if you're non-resident, you'll have to create an account. So you'll go in and enter all your information. You'll create an account and you'll be assigned a CID number. That's your Pennsylvania CID number for forever for hunting and fishing purposes. Um, So once you go um, and get your account uh, set up, then you can go in and just have to follow along with all the prompts for purchasing licenses, then choose the elk section. And um, then it, then it goes, then it breaks it down further once you get in there. So you're going to apply for, any of the elk seasons you would choose, archery, general, or late, excuse me, and you have to choose at least one zone, and you can choose up to five. So at the time, so that this is where a lot of folks like kind of get squirrely. They're like, "Oh, zones? I don't even know. You know. I don't even know what to do." So the way the system is set up, you have to choose at least one, and it gives you up to five choices of zones. And um, so, so how this goes, or the reasoning for that is when tags are awarded, they are awarded uh, numerically in order. So if the first person that gets drawn has clicked fallback, which I'll touch on that here in a little bit, um, they're going to get a zone two bull tag because zone two is the first numerical, numerical zone that has bull tags allocated. If the very first person that's drawn has picked zone 12, in their first choice, then they are going to get a zone 12 bull tag. So anywhere you fall in line there, if you have, if you have chosen fallback option, you're going to get any new, if, if, and if your choices are already uh, filled up, you're going to get the next numerically available tag. And they, they recently changed. It used to be, you could, you could choose, you would choose, you would pick one zone. So I, I would apply for zone 12. Say I'm the very last person to get drawn for an elk tag and zone 12 is already full, I would get whatever the very last tag available was. Now with now that we're up to, in the general season, we're up to 20, fellas will have 20 bonus points 
plus this year's app going into the drawing for this year. So there's a lot of guys that are up there in application or, you know, in bonus points. And there was also some feedback through that post hunt survey that I had mentioned previously that some folks had drawn tags. Yes, they were happy and ecstatic to draw a Pennsylvania elk tag, but they drew a tag for a zone. They had no idea about where, you know, where it was on the map. You know, they, they had always dreamed of hunting elk zone wherever maybe they have already have knowledge. They have a hunting camp, family member, a good friend or whatever. So, so now we got guys that are burning. I mean, you think about some of the stuff out West guys that have 20 points accumulated, they surely don't want to burn those 20 points on a tag for a zone or an area that they don't want to hunt. So the game commission recently, uh, you know, changed and, and adapted the application style and process to now allow guys to be more specific with their zone choices. And once you choose your one or fifth zone, you're going to get another pop-up and that's going to be what's called fallback. I don't, I scratch my head when they, when they chose that term, because fallback essentially means no preference when it comes to zone. So really it should say no preference there. And it would probably, you know, ease a lot of questions, answer a lot of questions for folks. So when you pick no uh, fallback at the end of your one or fifth choice, you now essentially are saying, I have no preference for a zone. If all my choices are filled when I draw, I will still take the next available tag. If you do not click no preference, I'm sorry, if you do not click fallback and your zones are chosen when you would be pulled, you will not get a tag. Now, it's all done instantaneously. The computer sees all that stuff. You would never see, Bomartonic would never come up on the screen and immediately go away because your zones would be filled. Um, the computer internally digests and, and makes those adjustments and does all that. But what that's doing then is that is preventing the guys that want to hunt, or that's allowing, I should say, not preventing, it's allowing the guys who have 20 some, you know, bonus points accumulated to be very specific about how they want to burn up and use those tags. They may be very comfortable never, ever drawing a tag, but they surely, you know, as long as it's would, would not be in a zone, they don't want to. They want to apply those tags to very specific zones um, for whatever reason they, they have knowledge there, you know, like I said, hunting camp, some guys own property. So um, it's a very customizable way to apply. Now, again, you, you, you got to wade through the huntfish.pa.gov website for that, or you have to make sure your um, teller or whoever's at your point of sale, you know, your mom and pop sporting goods, your, Walmart, wherever you're at, is entering stuff the way you want to see it or the way you want it applied. We, we've had that happen before in the past. We've had guys come to us and say, I don't know how in the world I drew this cow tag because I always apply bull only. And I said, well, I bet you little Timmy at the Walmart sporting goods department put you in wrong, you know? Yeah. Um, so that, that leads us into another important thing then also with, with the huntfish.pa.gov and that website, you can actually go in there at any time and you can see your application history. So you can see what you've applied for. If, if you would go to Walmart in person and apply for your elk licenses, you can then come home, log on the huntfish.pa.gov. You can not only, uh, you can see your applications and how they were actually entered in the system. And very importantly, they are editable. So if you would see a mistake, you can go in and change the zones 
or change fallback or no fallback, whatever, whatever you would like. So we, that's another big thing aside from telling, you know, pushing the, the bonus point thing, um, go in and check your application history and, and make sure that what you're seeing is what you actually want to apply for. Yeah. And you can also see your accumulated bonus points through that, through that site. So if you're logged in there to your account, you should be able to see how many bonus points you're actually carrying in too. So that, and then, then you would repeat that same process for archery general and late season. If you would want to do, you know, any, any, any three of those and any com all three or any combination, you know, whatever would all. And I think it's like, my Lord, it's like $11 and 90 cents. It's like less than $12 to apply for each season. So to, if you do all three seasons, I mean, you're, you're into it for 36 bucks. It's just, yeah. it's crazy to think that that's all the application process or cost, you know, here in Pennsylvania. It's uh, it, it really is. <laughs> it's, it, it's got some value. I mean, it really does for, for what you potentially can, you know, the potential outcome you can have well, if, if you would be lucky enough to draw. Yeah. It's funny. Um, uh, I'm going looking at my, my history here and looking through and I've, you know, I have 11 points in uh, the yep. general and then four for each of the archery in the late season, as long as yep. you've been able to, and you can go all the way back and see the exact dates you purchased the application all the way back to looks like my, my dad must put me in at the very beginning for two years. Then he yep. decided, you know what? No, we're not putting him in anymore. <laughs> You're on your own. So <laughs> then after yep. high, uh, high school, I got, I put back in and, and started yep. kind of rolling through it there or after college actually. But it, um, yeah, you can see all the details there and that's really helpful to know that if someone made a mistake and there's still that time period before it's open that you can go back yes. and make yep. a change. Yep. It's my understanding. You can, you can edit your choices all the way up to that January 16 cutoff date online. You know, if, if you would find that something would be wrong, um, you can, you can log on, go into your account, like we said, and, and make any adjustments. But after January 16th, Whatever's on that screen is what's locked in, and that's what you're in the that's what you're in the lottery for. Do you yep. um do you find as far as with the zones because I feel like that's the questions that I I get the yeah. most you know as far as the zones like you know I'm not going to ask you unless you feel like there's a good answer for it but like you know what zone do you pick like that's I, I don't feel like that's the the best question but more so is like I know there's some from being familiar with the area that there's some zones that don't have as many elk as others some have some privately and restrictions i you know yeah. stuff like that so so really that that that's that's one of the most common questions if not the most which, which zones do i pick and it's quite frankly it's purely subjective it's 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 not where it's not so much like out west where where there is a good zone as far as draw odds or a good zone or better zone as far as population um, because there, there, there's elk, there, there, there's huntable elk in every one of the zones throughout all, you know, all the elk range. Um, there definitely are zones that have way more private property than others. There, there's one zone in particular, a pretty small geographic area. It's 80% private property. Um, it's just the way that zone is. It's just, and I think if you would go back and look at the harvest history, Oh my Lord, it's gotta be over 90% of the elk harvested in that zone are on private property. Mm -hmm. So, um, and not that's a bad thing. I mean, you can knock on doors and get permission. Um, outfitters have a lot of permissions, you know, in the, in those zones we do as well. So, um, conversely, there's some of the zones that are 80% public ground and the public ground elk hunting is head and heels 
over the um, private ground uh, elk hunting in the zone, you know? Um, that, that's another big question too. A lot of folks, oh, well, how much private ground do you have? How much private ground do you have? Well, that's hard to quantify because it's in, it exists in so many different zones. So why do I want to tell you how much private zone we have in zone five when you have a zone 12 tag, you know, yeah. it's, it's apples and oranges. And plus I say in my next breath, I always followed up with don't get hung up on the private ground access. I mean, yes, it, it is important in some of the zones, but there is very good elk hunting on much of the public ground, you know, in all of the elk range. Um, and it just, Sometimes access isn't as good. I mean, a lot of times private landowners, you know, they let you have a little bit more car blanche. You have easier access, four wheelers, trucks, you know, whatever. Um, but uh, again, you know, the private, how much private property do you have? How much private property do you have? Well, uh, we can tell you whatever the zone is, we can get pretty close, but uh, I'm going to tell you the next breath. Yeah, but we killed this giant 400 inch bull on public ground last year, you know, or two years ago or whatever, you know, and, and there's others out there like him. So, and some guys, some guys though, that's a selling point. It don't matter. They want to hear private property and they think exclusive, the exclusivity is, is, is the end all be all. And it's going to, and, and you're very likely you're going to get your elk and I'm sure you're going to have a great time, but you may have totally ignored something spectacular out on the public range somewhere, you know? Um, so it's, uh, as, as far as like, I'll, I'll talk about, it. I mean, we, it's a question we get asked and I, and I openly answer. So a lot of times most folks are talking about bulls, right? So, yep. um, I, what's it, where, where, where's my best chance of drawing a bull tag? Well, there isn't a, a there, the only way you're going to have a better chance of drawing a bull toe a tag would only apply to the amount of bull tags allocated for that zone. So some zones have four bull tags in archery season. Some only have one. Well, obviously you have a better chance of drawing one out of four than one out of one. So that's really the only that, or if you want to increase your odds, apply either sex, because if you apply bull only, you are only actively in that drawing for the allocation of those uh, 65 bull tags over all three seasons. If you want to have, if you want your best chance of drawing a tag, apply either sex. And then you're in there for the cow allocation as well. The whole 144 this year. So the only way to increase your chance of, of drawing is to apply for all of the seasons and either sex. That's the only statistical way to do it. There isn't one zone that draws better than the other. Um, so, so really when, when we get asked all the time then about big bulls. So, so we say this all the time and, and, and zones, I, I'm, I'm, I'll give you my personal opinion, I should say. I'm partial, and this is in no particular, I just put them in numerical order, just so I, re, that's how I always, always easily remember them. Four, zone four, 10, 12, 13, and 14. So that's five zones. You can choose up to five zones at your time of application. Any elk tag in any of those zones, in any combination order, you can't go wrong with. Though, and those five zones there historically give up the, the bigger bulls every year. Now, now, don't be wrong. A big bull, a orange bull can come from any zone, anywhere, anytime. Last year, we killed a big 400-inch gross bull in November in zone five. And the year before that, there was another real big one killed in zone five. Uh, it was over a 400 gross bull. But historically, when we look back at our data and our anecdotal data, our actual paper data and game commission stuff, things that we know, those zones for, what I say, 4, 10, 12, 13, 14, those zones do it consistently. 
like almost every year you're going to look for a 400 inch plus bull coming out of multiples coming out of those zones well i'm shooting a new bow this year and i am pumped after playing around with a buddy's hoy rx8 the smile on my face made the decision for me the first thing i noticed with the new hoys were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like i prefer I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's a GoSticks 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that. In addition, the integrated kickstand within the HBX Exact cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt. Ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier. If you want to experience what I'm talking about, head to your nearest Hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself. You can learn more at Hoyt.com. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at themobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. So that that's always that that's always probably the number one question. You know, what zone should I apply for? So really that's it. So and if you only want to tag in four, 10, 12, 13, and 14, then do not click fallback at the time you apply. If you would like a tag in those zones, but really don't care, I'll take any tag, then make sure you click your fallback, like we talked about, which essentially is no preference. And then um, at the time of your application, then then when you click fallback and no preference, that's helping you to stay in the drawing. You're, you're narrowed even less if you only are applying for your actual zone choices. So really, that's another thing, too, is guys always ask, well, what's the odds of drawing? What's it? Well, it's actually incomprehensible now with as as um, customizable as the application process is. Right now, there's actually no statistical way to figure uh, figure odds at this point because of the fallback option, because of one zone choice, because of five zone choices. You know, um, they're just it's 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 not quantifiable. You, you can't it can't be done. There's yeah, no it's it's different than when you're looking at yep. say, out west and you're applying for one specific unit. They know how many are going into that versus when you have these fallback options. Now it, it just throws it into a weird mix of like oh, yeah yeah i yeah i can't it's even a wrap statistician's my brain about nightmare. That. yeah yep. i can't even it's wrap a my brain about nightmare. It. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so but but you know conversely um you know that you, you got to be in it to win it people always say oh well i've been applying for 10 15 20 years I, i'm i'm done i'm not applying anymore well you don't apply not applying is the only sure way to guarantee you'll never draw a tag right so we had, we, uh, uh, and a, a prime example of luck of the draw is last year we had, we had a young fella by the name of Chris Bowersox, um, a junior hunter, 12 years old, first time he ever applied and he drew a bull tag for elk hunt zone 11 this year. 
Um, and, and Mr. Bowersox came and hunted with us without County Outfitters. I actually was with him personally on his trip and, um, the youth man hunting with the youth is just, it's just incredible. I mean, so he was 12 years old. He, he was a, a junior hunter, but he, his parents had had him deeply involved in hunting for quite a while. He had taken advantage of the mentor season. He had taken some deer bucks and does with archery equipment with rifle. So he might've been 12 years old and a, a first year junior hunter, but he was, he, he had had experience. And I, I shit you not when I tell you this. And I told him many times throughout the week, he was probably the safest person I've ever hunted with in the woods. I mean, just, um, he, he was always very much aware of his weapon handling, his muzzle placement. Um, I commended his dad many times in front of him and, you know, back at the truck or whatever, like, man, Chris is doing good. You know I mean? He, he, he knows how to handle himself in the woods. He, he wasn't just walking along, scuffing his feet either. I mean, he was, he was always attentive. He was looking around, he was sneaking, he was smelling, he was looking, you know, he just wasn't out for a walk. Cause I got an elk tag. This kid was a hunter. Um, and I think this elk hunt really solidified his hunting future even more. Yeah. You know? I mean, cause he just, he was just so into it. And it I, I don't know. I, I look back and I think, I think about my kids growing up, both my boys, I had took advantage of the youth seasons and I see what they've developed into now when it comes to hunting. And it's just an amazing opportunity, you know, to be able to get youth hunters out there. And it, I don't know, I almost get a little choked up over it, you know, because when I came up through, we had, we didn't hunt until we were 12. Same here. And I was fine. I mean, I, but boy, I'm nine, 10 years old. All I was jonesing to do was to be out with my dad. I couldn't hunt, but I would go out with him. You know, and um, when the youth, when the mentor program became involved, it was perfect timing with my kids coming up. Um, they're they're now nineteen, almost twenty, and seventeen, and um, you know they they have had amazing hunting careers that I fully believe were just reinforced. I think they would have been hunters regardless. I mean, because they you know they they are affected by their surroundings and their and their their family and all my whole family's big hunters, but. Getting them in them early years, I think, is a very formidable time to get get the the hooks into somebody, you know, to you know, to really understand and appreciate and love the outdoors and want to continue the hunting tra- tradition. And um, you know, hunting with Chris was just it was an amazing experience for me to be with with such a youngster. Um, and he did get a great bull um, on Friday. Um, right before the end of the season. Um, we had a couple close calls otherwise um, on a couple really good big bulls. Um, as it came down, we ended up filling his tag on Friday with a real nice six by seven, a great bull. Um, you know, it was just an overall great experience uh, to have a junior hunter in camp um, and be able to be out in the woods and see, you know, the future hunting generation coming up is it's strong with this kid. And, yeah. and, and their, and their whole family. And, and you know, I commended his mom and dad, uh, again, it's not just him. I mean, it's his family and their whole group of friends also that hunt together and recreate together. Um, you know, it takes a village that saying it takes a village is definitely true. And you, you really, as mentors and adult hunters, we always need to kind of be thinking about that and, you know, be conscious of that. Um, so yeah, it was great having this junior hunter first time he ever applied, man. I mean, don't, don't get down in the dumps because you've been applying for 20 years and haven't drawn this kid did it on his first time, you know? So you really, uh, you gotta be in it to win it. The only way you're never going to draw a PA elk tag is to not apply. 
that's essentially it in a nutshell. Yeah. And, and, and too, I mean, they, they keep adding more tags. It seems like every year. I mean, I had, I had Jeremy Banfield on here probably three years ago now and talked about the history of it. So anyone listening wants to go back and understand the history of Elk and PA, which is a really awesome story. I'd recommend going back and checking that out. But I know people personally similar to the story that you told there that drew on their first year applying. And it's just, I, I think that's, what's cool about this system versus, you know, like there's states like Colorado, where I'm building points and I'm constantly chasing a unit that I'll probably never draw because it has point creep and it keeps getting worse yep. and worse yep. and worse where yep. here you always have a chance. Now you, you never have a guarantee, but you always have a chance. And I think that's a cool right. way of doing it. And Pennsylvania offers like kind of what you alluded to there, but so many different opportunities depending on what you want. If you want to, if you end up drawing a tag and has, you know, private and you and say you go with Elk County Outfitters and they have access to this private land and you want to hunt on a side-by-side and, and have a little bit of a more of a plush hunt, you can do that. Or you can have more of a backcountry experience yep. in some yep. of these places because I have a lot of experience in, in these areas. Oh, yeah. And there's some big bulls that live far away from roads and you can have that Western experience in Pennsylvania. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I mean, there's, uh, I mean, not without spot burning too much, but I mean, Quiana Wild Area, it's, it's a gigantic acreage and i would never say that there's elk out there i've never seen people but there's definitely elk out there that don't see many and boy they are on you right away they smell you see you they don't like it and and they're getting out of dodge you know um um and you know another thing too i guess just just to reinforce with your listeners some folks don't know this even some pa residents i hear it from there is no requirement to hire a guide or an outfitter in Pennsylvania, should you draw. Um, well, we hear that one a lot. Well, I, I don't want to want that tag because I don't want to be forced to go with an outfitter. Well, where did you hear that from? You know, well, my buddy so-and-so told me that's wrong. That's that's just blatantly <laughs> wrong. There, There's no requirement to hire an outfitter. Every year, there's lots of guys that hunt DIY, um, and they're successful. Um, same with, um, we hear a lot of, well, how do you, why do you have to bring them out whole? You see the elk come out whole all the time. Well, again, there is no Pennsylvania law on the books that requires an elk to come out of the woods whole. Um, it is definitely something that is common and it's very unique to Pennsylvania. You know, you, you don't see whole elk coming out of the mountains out West unless they're down on like some ranch land or something, you know, but, um, so, you know, th- there is no requirement to come out whole. You just need proof of sex when you bring your, your animal to the, uh, to the mandatory check station. So, um, but th- there's multiple ways to do it. I mean, why we do it sometimes it's just cool. I mean, we, and we have, if we have manpower, we can get them out. We have a guys, a couple of the guys have built some custom, um, elk carts. You imagine like a deer cart, a two wheel deer buggy, a deer cart. Um, we got a couple beefed up oversized elk carts <laughs> and really, even with a really big bull, you get them, you get them in there and balance just right. Four or five guys can handle that on, on a logging road or an access road. You can play hell getting them out of wherever he is to some kind of access road, even if it's gated or whatever, but, uh, or a logging road. But once you get them figured out and balanced out, you'd be surprised. We actually can move them pretty good. Um, and then sometimes we use, um, there's a fella that drags them out with horses um, we, we use him. He's a horse logger. Um, uh, and then we, we have cut elk up in the past in the way, not very often. I think actually even maybe only one elk over all the years and it was in a real bad spot and it was really warm. And we were like, man, this is not going to end well. We need to get cutting. We can't deal with trying to, you know, manhandle this thing out of there. So, you know, again, there's no requirement to hire a guide and outfitter and elk do not have to come out 
of the woods hole, you know, here in Pennsylvania. Yeah, no, that's, 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 those are really good points to be able to add on there. It's just like, there's, yeah, there's so much that you can have with your, you know, your experience and what you're looking for in those types of hunts. Cause I hear it all the time too, like, oh, the elk are tame in Pennsylvania. And what I, and I'll, I'll ask for your opinion here in a second, but from what I, what I've seen is like, yeah, the ones that you see in town, like, yeah, those are going to be kind of tame, but you get some of these elk in some of these remote places. They, uh, they act like elk. They're elk. A hundred percent. And, and something else too, um, you know, you, you go up to Benazet, up to the visitor center, up to the touristy kind of elk viewing areas. Um, those elk see hundreds and not thousands of people a day and nobody's shooting at them. Nobody's giving them a hassle or a hard time. So they, they do become um, habituated. I, I don't know if I, I don't like to use the, the term tame, but yeah. habituated, you know? Um, so, but conversely, you know, the, those elk do need managed and controlled um, also. So sometimes there are tags awarded in zones um, that aren't the most picturesque, you know, when you, you, when you envision what an elk hunt would be, but, but um from a management standpoint, those elk still need to, they still need to be managed. They still need to be harvested and any sort of hunting pressure on those animals, whether it's realized instantly or not does to a certain level, put the fear of man into them a little bit. Um, you know, what, when, when Jeremy originally had instituted the archery in the late season, one of the side effects he was hoping, aside from providing more opportunity, he was hoping to create a little bit more of a human fear and into some of these cases that we talked about by hunting pressure. These people now all of a sudden, well, these guys aren't shooting at us just for one week out of the year. Now they're here th- three different times out of the year, you know, and maybe we should be a little bit more wary and a little bit more, um, you know, cautious of, of, of where we're feeding and out in the open. And, and, I, I don't know how you quantify that. I mean, I think you talk to some people, they say, hell no, that didn't do nothing. You talk to other people and they say, yeah, I think I've seen, I think I've, I've noticed a difference. I know and just in the last four or five years alone, just from harvest uh, success, I mean, there's some zones that used to be a hundred percent success rate on cows. Now they struggle to get 40 and 50%. Um, it's a combination of a few things, but I would like to think that multiple seasons of hunting pressure, you know, plays a little bit of a role in that and kind of, you know, makes them a little more weary, you know, puts the fear in them a little bit more. Um, um, to, so elk act more like elk, you know, and then, and then when you're up there in Benazette and that visitor center area, especially during the rut, you know, that's the peak time, hundreds of thousands of folks come through there. Elk are, it's during the rut. I mean, the bulls are crazy. They're quite frankly, stupid at that time. I mean, they got one thing on their mind. They don't care about anything else. So sometimes that gives a false impression. Um, And specifically, you know, with bulls, I've seen this multiple times. I've seen bulls come out. I've seen them summer in some of those more remote areas where there's nobody around and they drop off the top into the valleys around some of these other um, viewing areas and popular elk looking areas. And, when at, in velvet up where they were in the summertime, they catch wind of you, poof, they're gone. But now here they are in September, you know, with drool hanging out of their mouth and they're just staring right at a pickup truck. Cause you're in the way of his and his cows on the other side of the road. You know, yeah. he doesn't care. It's always thinking about. So, you know, it, I, I, I've said this multiple times to a lot of folks and I believe it holds true elk our elk, especially elk know where they should see people. 
when you're down in town and bulls are eating in a yard or in a farm field or something, and they're used to a line of vehicles out along the road, stopped and looked at them and nothing ever happens. They know that, but you're out in Queenie somewhere and you come up out of a valley and up bump onto this Oak bench and there's a herd of elk there. They're, they know right away. There ain't supposed to be people here and they act totally different. I bet a paycheck on it. I know it because I've seen it and it happens all the time. You know? Yeah. Um, they, they know where they're supposed to see people and where they're not supposed to. And when you're not supposed to be there, they're alert. They're on you. Something they don't like, they're, they're gone, you know. And that's that's where you can get into some really good hunting experiences, you know, where, where you're hunting, where you're digging, you know, and you got you to gotta find them. Yeah. No, that, that totally makes sense. And one, one story I want to, I want to hear about. So for anyone that's not familiar with Elk in Pennsylvania, you know, you've mentioned a couple of times, 400 inch Mark, which if any, that, that is an absolute giant elk. I mean, yeah. that's some of the biggest elk in the country. Um, but yeah. I, I remember getting a photo sent to me, I believe it was 2020. There was this big non-typical, I believe that you guys had guided, uh, shot yes, like sir. it was like yep. 460 something. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. So that bull, um, that bull is the current Pennsylvania state non-typical record. Uh, he was gross 467 and seven eighths, I believe. And he nets 455 even. <laughs> um, oh, just, I mean, just a monstrosity. It's actually, so it is the fourth largest hunter killed elk in the world. And on the Boone and Crockett list, it falls in as number six. So, Sixth largest. So the reason it is not number four, even though it's the fourth uh, largest hunter killed, it's not number four in the BNC list. There's two bulls bigger than him that were found as deadheads and picked up as deadheads. So Boone and Crockett still recognizes those two animals. So they score higher than him. Therefore, they, they hold a higher spot in the Boone and Crockett record book. But overall, he's the fourth largest uh, hunter killed elk in the world. And just, just a monster. I mean, just, just unbelievable. I believe that bull had nearly 80 inches of non-typical antler, um, you know, aside from his, his regular uh, typical frame. Um, and then conversely, last year, we killed a new state record typical. Um, we actually killed a bull that's gross, is 432 and change as a 6 by 6 typical, oh. and nets 407. 407 and two eights as a six by six. It is just that that's a unit. I mean, that's a unicorn anywhere, but for Pennsylvania, when our bulls, that bull, and I think that bull was nine years old. Yeah. Nine years old. When our bulls, for whatever reason, our genetics, um, when our bulls get old into that mature window, that seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, even 12 year window, we get trashy, man. We get junky. We get splits off of splits. We get drop times. We get webbing. Um, you know, for this bull to grow a big, huge six point frame is just incredible. He had two little kickers, one on the left side, fourth and the left side, fifth. And we actually, I mean, when you look at paperwork, it actually, he, it, it hurt. I think we lost about seven inches, um, because that's being a, a typical score. Those are non-typical inches. They actually come off when we're figuring the net. So really, I mean, if he would have been totally slick and not had those two little kickers, we'd have been talking about a typical net four teens bull. You know, um, it just, just, just giant. I mean, as a six by six frame, our previous state record in Pennsylvania was another uh, Elk County Outfitters client. And that was a 388 and one eighth net bull. And that was a seven by seven, huh. seven typical points. So, I mean, this dude crushed the previous record and he had less, less scorable points. You know, he was only had a six by six frame. So it really is just, it, it, it's incredible 
you know, the bulls that are out there, you know, not to get too far back, but the elk hunt started in 2001, the modern day elk hunt in Pennsylvania, 2001. Prior to that, elk hadn't been hunted for 70 years. Elk were dying of old age. I mean, any, anybody, any logical thinker would think, well, hell, that first year, 2001, every bull killed should have been 400 inches, right? They should, they were all over the landscape out there. They weren't, oh, they weren't, they weren't taken. They weren't killed. Um, and I think we can attribute that to a lot of different things, a lot of different social factors and a lot of the way the guys hunt, but it took until 2004, I believe it was for the first 400 inch gross bull to show up in the, in the elk harvest. And now ever since then, every year, it, you know, it, it, it's progressed, progressed to where we're at now. And a lot of folks say, well, you're shooting all the big bulls, you're shooting all the big, well, yeah, we're shooting big bulls, but there's still a lot out there. There's still a lot of up and comers every year that are replacing them um tag allocations have been fluctuating um you know mentioned earlier about tags have been going up this year they actually cut them a little bit mm. um, um based on um the aerial survey and based off of a calf mortality survey that recently um finished up so they actually they actually lowered the cow allocation and bumped the bull allocation up another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So overall, we have less tags uh, and that falls under the cow category. And then, but they actually bumped up um, the, the bull tag allocation by five, I believe five overall. Um, so, so there's a lot of animals out there. They're, they're constantly expanding too. I mean, there's elk as far north and east as Potter and, Ty and the southern tip of Ty Western Tioga County. Um, and they're down in Center County also. I mean, they're, they're, the game commission tries to use Route 80 as a physical barrier, but elk do routinely, uh, you know, every year cross Route 80. And, but that's not where they want them, you know, and then you're getting into a lot more agriculture area. Um, you deal with a lot more conflict and a lot more social acceptance issues down there, which, I mean, you could go down a whole big rabbit yeah. hole of what all that means, but I know we don't, we don't want to get that far in the weeds, but, um, you know, elk are, they're, they're still expanding. They're expanding their range. Um, they're looking a lot more closely now at population dynamics, just like I said, with, um, the lower numbers counted during the, the flyover this winter. And then the results of that um, calf mortality survey. But in general, the elk range is expanding. And that's the natural movement that the Game Commission is looking for is that northeast. You know, they want to get up into Potter County more and Tioga County more where there's vast amounts of public ground and, and there's less chance of um, human conflict yeah. and, and social unacceptance, which is the big thing. You know, farm uh, agriculture. I mean, that's that's one of the biggest hits. I mean, there there are far there are some farms in the elk range, and quite frankly, the farmers do not tolerate elk. I mean, you think you even think a bear does damage in a cornfield? You should see what a herd of twenty elk does. Yeah. I mean, they'd just be totally wiped out. I mean, they're the farmers take huge financial losses, and um, they're um, they're within their legal right, you know, to dispatch elk just the same as elk and and deer, you know, for crop damage. Um, they, and a couple farmers I know I talk to, they, they don't want to, they, they should, they, they don't wake up every morning. like, yeah, I can't go wait to shoot an elk on crop damage. They don't want to do it, but they just can't sustain 
the losses and the damage that comes from, you know, from, from the trouble that elk can cause when, when you're making your living or a big portion of your living, you know, off of your land. It's, and it's a, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough scenario to be in. And that's why they want the elk to go North and East. They don't want them to go South anymore or West even anymore um, or straight East even more, you know, it's, they looking for that Northeast natural expansion through just through natural causes and habitat work, you know? So yeah, there's, there's always something going on out there, you know, population dynamic wise, there's always something going on food and cover wise in the elk range, you know, trying to benefit the elk herd long-term and sportsmen and elk hunters. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think it's awesome. And I I love seeing how the elk seasons have progressed and, and getting, you know, everyone knows, you know, about the big, big elk in Pennsylvania, which is awesome. But just the idea that, that we have elk is so cool in Pennsylvania and hunters play a huge role in the management aspect of that. And anybody knows, uh, you know, across the country, how hunting helps management. It seems, it seems counterproductive when you think you're shooting an elk to help them, but at the same time you are, and you got to keep, keep them uh, under control. So that, I think that's awesome. Yep. Yep. For sure. And I guess, Again, not to go in, I know I think we're getting a little close here in our time and not to go down a whole nother rabbit hole, but you know, you taught, you just mentioned, you made a statement about how shooting one animal is, can benefit the herd long-term, you know, um, Pennsylvania has a conservation tag or a governor's tag, many people call it, which is auctioned off to the highest bidder. Um, so a lot of times whenever you hear governor tags, all people think about are some rich snobby hunters that fly in on their airplane shoot and fly out and they're jerks and assholes and stuff um but truth be told we we at elk county outfitters have been very privileged for the last many years to have uh, been involved with the hunts associated with the winners with the high bids of those tags um and we have seen personally you know i i live in the elk range um i live up in frenchville um so I live in the elk range. I see stuff every day. I have seen where the dollars go to the dirt that come from the proceeds, you know, of those auction tags. Um, and we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars here. I mean, these guys pay pretty significant funds, you know, for a chance to come out and hunt Pennsylvania elk and one, one animal. And those funds, I've seen those funds buy new equipment for food and cover crews. So I've seen new tractors purchased. I've seen new cedars. Um, oh, why does the game commission need new equipment? Why do they need new trucks? Why do they need this and that? Well, you need new equipment to be more proficient and to be more, um, more, um, boy, it's on the tip of my tongue now. It's I'm drawing a total blank. Well, when you have new good equipment, you are, you can make way better use of your time. So you're paying, paying hourly rates to folks, um, you know, to, to, to work when they have good equipment, they're way more productive, you know? Yeah. And um, so it, it, it helps in mowing food plots, planning food plots, maintaining roads. Um, you know, uh, a lot of governor tag auction funds also go to the biologist and he can replace aging GPS collars, you know, for various studies. Um, he's used he's used monies to um, perform some other specific biological studies where he would send samples away to a lab and he would have to pay for them, you know, pay for the um, review of those samples. So. Um, and not only that, but now, you know, habitat directly on the ground, aside from buying tractors and food plot seed and lime and, and everything, um, I have seen where governor's tag monies has directly created habitat. So aside from ex- maintenance of existing food plots and openings, um, I've seen where 
hundreds of acres of new herbaceous openings have been created by the game commission and in, in cooperation with the DCNR in a lot of cases, um, brand new hundreds of acres of food plots that, that would not have been possible without funding, you know, through auction tags and these new food plots and openings, they don't benefit just elk and elk hunters. I mean, they benefit deer hunters. They benefit turkey hunters. They benefit small game and bear hunters. I mean, you're creating edge habitat and herbaceous openings. There's so many, so many animals, um, game animals and, and non-game animals, songbirds and, and everything. They're just anytime you can do anything to um, help the habitat and improve the habitat anywhere uh, on the landscape is, is a positive thing. And, 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 you know, these monies, um, that are raised by these auctions, you know, the, it's, it's stark, it's glaringly obvious what's going on with this stuff. And it's, to me, it's, it's just a good thing. Initially, I remember even growing up and before I was involved with the elk hunt and all that stuff, I had heard of governor tags and Western stuff. And I always had that kind of that, that mentality, like, Oh, those guys are a bunch of rich jerks, know-it-alls, you know? Um, but now that I've been actually involved and around and I've hunted with some of these folks and I've hunted with some of them multiple years, these are salt of the earth people. I mean, they're just, they're, they're business folks that a lot of them have built their business up from the ground. I mean, they're, yeah. they're hard workers, you know, they, they, um, uh, they just happen to be fortunate to have had success and their success has led to a big bank account and their big bank account has allowed them to travel and hunt, you know? Um, so I, I, it's one thing, if I ever have the opportunity, I always try to talk to folks and try to maybe dispel some of those, stereotypes and preconceived notions about governor's tags and the monies and how those folks act, you know, um, so far I can't say since 2011, we've been fortunate enough to be involved with the, uh, with the auction tags. And I can't think of any of them that have been a jerk. I mean, there, I still stay in touch. I mean, I, I text regularly with them. I talk with a bunch of them. Um, they're friends, you know, a couple of them actually came up to Jack's funeral. I mean, that's the, they're just, you just become friends with folks and they're, you, you got to put those preconceived notions and stereotypes out of your mind because 99.9% .9 of the time they're not accurate, you know? Yeah. So I, I'll get off my soapbox there. I just, I don't know. I have any opportunity I have. I always like to try to talk to folks, but like explain, this is why it's good, not only for elk hunters, but it's good for you as a sportsman that would happen to enjoy, you know, any of the elk range and the habitat that's there, that's gone onto the ground, the, you know, the monies that's gone onto the ground there in that region. It's just, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great setup. I, I, I truly believe and back and support it. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that. I just talked about that on a recent podcast, not specifically about these auction tags, but you know, some of these people that have access or pay, you know, for these hunts that are a lot more mm -hmm. than, than most of us can afford, you know, every, I, I feel like, like, you know, even growing up, I felt that way where I was like, oh, you know, those type of people. And then I've got to meet a bunch of them and realize, like you said, yeah, there's some that were somehow, you know, just given money and became, you know, whatever. And who cares? But, but most of them have worked their asses off to get there and to get to that point and be able to spend their money how they want. I'd do it if I could, you know, I'd be buying that governor's tag. And what it does is it just supports, it supports the, you know, the, the elk conservation in a level that most of us can't 
do financially and to be able to have that in the area that you live in, like that's a prime example of, of some amazing habitat work, uh, where, where they've done, you know, for the elk, for the deer, for the turkeys, for all the different animals. So I, I am, uh, I'm also uh, a big fan of that. So I'm glad that you did bring that up. So we had a little bit of a technical difficulty there. And, uh, so Brian's, uh, I guess his microphone has been muted, but for, as we're about ready to close out this podcast, I just urge everyone to go over and, and check out Elk County Outfitters, Instagram, Facebook, their website. Go check it out. If you have any questions, feel free to, to reach out and ask questions about that. Also, I'm going to have an updated article on my website about the Elk Draw, the stuff we talked about, links to this podcast, everything there so that uh, if you're looking to apply and help elk conservation, you can do that. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.